We're, um, this is part two of a very brief two-part series and um, <clears throat> on the life of John the Baptist. For those of you that weren't here last week, a very brief recap. Um, John the Baptist uh, was described as a voice crying in the wilderness, in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And uh, he, um, his mother Elizabeth uh, visited her cousin Mary when John and Jesus were both in the womb. And John's, uh, John leapt in the womb because even there, there was something that recognized uh, Jesus. And uh, he, was, uh, he was in the desert. And the point that I was making last week, the main point is, uh, John got his voice in the desert. He was a voice and not an echo. And today there are so many echoes of others. But John got his voice in the dry place, in the barren place, in the inhospitable place. And we want to keep away from those places. And yet, they seem to be the places where God forms us, where God tests us, where God prunes us, where God prepares us. And... Uh, and when you're a voice and not an echo like John was, for John, he spoke, he preached in the desert. He didn't go to Jerusalem and hire the most comfortable auditorium with air conditioning and comfortable seats and great lighting. He, he went to the desert and he spoke there and people came to the desert to listen to him. And people will go to dry places. They'll go anywhere if, if it's an authentic voice. And uh, our prayer is that the church of Jesus in these days would once again recover its voice and not be just an echo of society around, but we would have something prophetic to say and prophetic to live, prophetic in both ways. And, um, and how for John the Baptist, he knew who he was. And in the desert places, you find out who you are. It's in the desert times in life that you, dis, that you discover the bottom line of who you are when everything else is stripped away and it's how it's important for all of us at some stage to, to say, you know what, this is what I'm prepared to die for. This is my non-negotiable. This is my line in the sand. This is what I will commit myself to. There are lots of things that matter less, but there are, should be some things in each of our lives that are, you know what, whatever the cost, I'm not giving up on this. And, uh, and, and we find that in the desert times. We love the mountaintop experiences and they do good things. On tops of mountains, you get vision. You can see far. But it's in the valleys that things grow. It's in the valleys that things develop. And so, you know, when we, where we think that desert times in our lives, we want to avoid at all costs and, and we kind of think that they're the devil's place, I want to suggest God meets us there. God meets us there and he gives us an authentic voice. So John the Baptist, he wasn't afraid of, of saying the truth. Um, he wasn't afraid. He knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. As we read last week, they asked him, are you the Messiah? I am not. Are you the prophet? I am not. Are you Elijah? I am not. Who are you then? And he said, I'm the voice crying in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. And how it's in those places we find out who we are, but we also find out who we are not. With that background, I want to read 
from Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 2. When John, who was in prison, and by this stage he'd been imprisoned by King Herod, and he was about to be executed, he was going to have his head cut off. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, at first sight, this is a very strange passage. You know, this is John, who was fearless, who confronted the Pharisees, who, who, who spoke the truth, and who recognized Jesus. Even in the womb, he recognized Jesus. And then when he was with his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Jesus from a distance, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He knew who Jesus was. And yet, just a short time later, this prophetic guy, this mighty man of faith and power, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? In other words, did I get it wrong? Are you really who I thought you were? Or have I got it all wrong? How can that happen? How can someone who recognized Jesus, who proclaimed him, who said, this is the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world, the one who said all that, how can he just a short time later say, are you the one? You're supposed to be the voice preparing the way of the Lord. What happened to you, John? Well, what happened to him is what happens to just about all of us at certain times in our lives, if we're honest. How many of us? We've proclaimed him, we've believed in him, we've loved him, we've, um, we've seen him do things, we've prayed for people and there's been answers to prayer, we've had wonderful experiences of his love, we've served him, and then a short time later, we're full of doubts. Was that really you? Is that really you? Are you really there? Are you who I thought you were? John was a human being and he had the same doubts that we all do. And the reason for John is because Jesus was a disappointment to him. Because in that culture, when they were expecting the Messiah, what they were looking for was someone who would come and who would be like King David and rule and overthrow the occupying Roman power by force and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. The, the Jewish people were subject to the Roman Empire and there were Roman legions that were put to govern them, who invaded them, who ruled them. And so John the Baptist, as with everyone in Israel, when they were looking for the Messiah, they were looking for a conquering king someone who was going to be like their great King David and reestablish the throne. And when Jesus came, that didn't happen. Herod was still on the throne. Not only that, but Herod 
had jailed John. And John would have had more than a few suspicions that in just a short time he was going to lose his head. You know, how, how did I get here? This isn't how it's supposed to end. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. And he was disappointed with Jesus. And you know, lots of us at some stages in our lives, we get disappointed, don't we? Because our expectations of Jesus are not met in the way we thought they would be met. I've had in the last few years a, a couple of, of disappointments. Um, the first one is over a period of a few years, those of you that have been in the church for any length of time, we, I lost, we lost three great friends to cancer. First of all, Bob Yule, our associate pastor, and then Ken Morgan, who with Jeannie was involved in starting this church 30 years ago, and then Ruth Yule, Bob's wife. And we prayed, and we prayed for healing, and, and it looked like at some stage things were getting better, and certainly Bob and Ruth lived longer than was expected, but that's not what we prayed for. We prayed that they would be healed, and they died. And we had to, we had to say goodbye to them and bury them. And that left me, that left me. I didn't vocalize them, but I le left me with lots of questions. The second one's been in the last few months as I've realized that the three years of COVID and now with everything else, have the church of Jesus in this country has not done very well. And uh, I keep hearing of churches that have lost I was talking to a pastor this week um, who came to see me before COVID. His church had 1,800 people in. Uh, now it's got 1,200. They've lost 600. And that's with some new Christians. There's another church that I'm close to. They had 3,000 before COVID. Now they've got 1,500 in the church. They've lost half. And small churches and big churches, it doesn't seem to... It matter what size of the church. But the bit that's been hardest for me has been losing young people. And uh, uh, all, the, all the indicators are that the church has particularly hemorrhaged teenagers. And that's really hard when you spent your life, 30 years of your life, trying to reach teenagers. And then kind of at the end of that, it's, it's worse than before you started. That's kind of hard. And, and, you know, I just saw a statistic just a couple of days ago that there's now half the number of folk being trained in youth work, at, at, um, not Anglican, at any theological colleges in this country. Half of what was being trained three years ago. And we know, we know that lots of youth groups have shrunk. Some youth groups, a number have disappeared altogether. And... Uh, Thankfully, we've largely bucked the trend. And uh, that's because we've got a great, there's a great team that, that, that do all that. And, the, and they work really hard over COVID, but it's been really hard. Our last festival in 2019, now it, it, we had the numbers because it was the last one and every grew youth group that came every other year all came the same year because it was the last one. But including everyone, if you counted the dog as well and and everything. We had 32,500, including team, including everyone. And if you take away 5,000, uh, which were at um, Naturally Supernatural, that's 27,000. 
and the three new events that have taken the place of Soul Survivor, uh, I, went, I went to two of them. They've been wonderful, wonderful. But if you add the numbers together, um, it's 10,000. And it's like, what, what happened to the other 17,000? And it's like, it's like grievous, grievous. And I've had questions, Lord, why did you let this happen? Why do you let COVID happen? Why have you let this, this, all this stuff happen? Why hasn't the church been stronger? And, and I've, I've been battling these things. But listen, the thing with John is he had these questions, but he asked Jesus. And for ages, for quite a while, I didn't really ask Jesus. I mulled it over myself. And I didn't go to him and say, Jesus, why? Why did my friends die? Jesus, why? Why did this happen? And listen, when John asked Jesus how Jesus replied, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Go and tell John. Now, John already knew that because he'd already heard, it says, um, when John was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. So Jesus was reiterating, this is why I came. And he didn't give John the answer John was looking for. He gave him a better answer. Because John's question was, why, why haven't we thrown the Romans out? Why isn't Herod dead? And Jesus said, this is what I came for. This is what I came for. So when John asked Jesus, he got his answer. But again, it wasn't, it wasn't according to John's expectations. If we believe it, it was better. And for me, when I eventually started asking Jesus, rather than having my nice quiet time where I praised, I thanked, I adored, I confessed, I read my scripture and I did all the religious stuff and then at the end was bothered about why did people die? My friends die. When I asked him in that time, when it got messy, he started answering me. And you know his answer was, they're with me, Mike. They're with me. I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm not, there's an element you have to trust me, but they're with me. And maybe you don't have a big enough vision of heaven. Maybe heaven isn't too much on your mind. Maybe you're not aware in your daily life about the life eternal starts now. And it reminded me of that verse in John 17. And this is eternal life, says Jesus, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that's eternal life, to, to be with me. They're with me. And they're okay. They're more than okay. And then my, my angst, that I, to be honest, I've been quite upset about, about youth work and youth and everything. And, and when I eventually, a little while ago, started asking him about it, 
it, I didn't get the answer I wanted at all. I didn't get Mike, here's the plan. In February, I'm going to start a revival and millions are going to come to me and I'm going to spray revival spray into the atmosphere and you're all going to breathe it in and suddenly it's all going to be all right. He didn't say that, which I would have really liked. Do you know what he said? He said, Mike, who's, who's the Messiah? Me or you? Who's Lord of the church? Me or you? When did it all rest on you? When was it about you being anxious about the future of the world? Because last time I checked, you weren't in charge. You weren't in charge, Mike. I'm in charge. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. And you need to trust me. You need to trust me in the valley. And as I started thinking about it, and I went to two of the events, um, DTI and Limitless, and they were wonderful. They were wonderful. And at the new events, about a thousand young people gave their lives to Jesus. About a thousand new Christians just in the last few weeks. And the Lord said, hey, and Mike, you were only there for a day at two of them. Maybe I can do it without you. Maybe you don't need to get stressed and worry. Maybe the future of the universe does not depend on you. He said it very nicely, and he said it very kindly, but he said it very clearly in a way that even I could understand. And you see, with John the Baptist, he says, go and tell John, the, the sick are healed, the lame walk, demons are cast out of people, the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor and here's the killer line and blessed is the one is anyone who does not stumble on account of me ouch say to John don't stumble because your your expectations of what I do do not align with what I do I'm God, you're not. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble because of me. Trust me. Ask your questions. Pour out your heart. But listen for my answer. And don't expect my answer to be what you think my answer should be. I won't answer your question in the way you want. I'll give a better answer, a real answer, a more authentic answer. And just like John the Baptist, that's us. We go to him in our weakness. We go to him in our brokenness. We go to him with our questions and our doubts. And my comfort is, if John the Baptist could doubt it must be all right for me. If John the Baptist could say, is it really you? Then it's all right for me to say, what are you doing, Lord? I don't understand. But then also, it's the humility 
to receive his answer and to trust him when it's not exactly as we would have wanted.